during the Great Depression, a couple called Ira and Ann Yates were sheep farmers in western Texas. Uh, things were really hard. The recession had kicked in globally, and he was not making enough money to pay his bills and to cover the cost of the land that he had bought. He was, I can imagine every day when he was out in those rolling hills of western Texas, as he was looking after those sheep, he'd be kind of thinking, how am I going to get money to feed my kids and to clothe us as a family? Then one day out of the blue, in 1926, an oil company uh, sent a team of people and they came and said, would you mind if we do exploration in your lands? We think there might be oil. So they started drilling an, an, an exploratory well. Once they got to 340 meters deep, they struck a huge oil reserve. The well became, the first well brought in 80,000 barrels of oil a day. And even today, it is considered one of the highest producing oil fields, the Yates oil fields is the highest producing oil fields in the world. There's Mr. Yates living in absolute poverty when he was a millionaire. He had everything he needed right there. It was actually his. He owned, when he bought that land, he owned all the minerals and all the resources that that land contains. And yet he lived as a pauper because he hadn't realized that he could access what was his. Today, we're going to go on an exploration. If you're a believer into your life has been deposited the greatest spiritual deposit that is possible on earth. And today we're going to dig in to look at what that is. Most of us live in spiritual poverty when God has made available to us the biggest reserve ever. We are in the last night of Jesus' life. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, John chapter 13 to 17. And now he's talking to his disciples, and we've looked at this a few times before, but we're, I love how it keep, we keep coming back to this subject, because it's such an important subject. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. So this is John 15, uh, verses 26 to 27. Jesus said, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will also testify, because you have been with me from the beginning." Let's skip ahead to chapter 16, verse 7. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. So the disciples were hearing this. Jesus, uh, were hearing, they were hearing Jesus is about to leave. They didn't fully know what that meant. They didn't fully understand the cross. They certainly didn't understand the resurrection. All they knew is the one that they'd spent three years with, the one they loved being around, was now saying, he, I'm going to leave you. But he, and, and amazingly, they're thinking this is the worst thing possible. But he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper. Who's that? It's the Holy Spirit. Three of you knew that answer. That's great. Okay, uh, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they have not believed in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, but he will take of what is mine and disclose it to you. Okay, so let's dig down. 
Let's dig down and see what reserves God has made available, the biggest deposits in your life. What are those reserves? I've got a few things for you. First of all, he's the helper. This is the Holy Spirit. It's coming to your life. As a believer, you have a helper. Now, we've looked at this a few weeks ago. Let's look at it again. John 15, 26. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit. Greek word for helper is parakletos, one called alongside to help. It's also translated in the Greek language, an intercessor or a consoler or an advocate, like a lawyer, or a comforter. Jesus said in verse, chapter 16, verse 7, but I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go away, I will send them to you. Now, the disciples didn't, I mean, they didn't want Jesus to go. Would you? Being with Jesus those three years, would you want him to go? And they weren't fully understanding the significance of what he was saying. He's saying, if I do not go away, he will not come to you. What did he mean, if I do not go away? Well, he was talking about the cross. He was talking about the cross because when he went to the cross, when he went away, he went to the cross. And what happened when he went to the cross? As he hung and died there on that cross, one of the last things he said on the cross was, it is finished. And in that dying moment, something significant took place in the center of Jerusalem. As he died outside of Jerusalem and cried, it is finished. It says in the temple of Jerusalem, the veil in the temple was torn in two, from the top to the bottom. Now, what did that represent? It represented two things. It represented that that veil that separated common people from the very presence of God, all of a sudden that wasn't there. All of a sudden, you can have access through the death of Jesus directly into the presence of God Almighty. What an amazing, amazing thing we have access. We have access to the very presence of God. But also the veil being torn in two also tells us this, that God has moved. God's moved the dress. No longer does God just dwell in a temple made by hands in some place called Jerusalem. But God now dwells in temples, us. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And when you become a believer, because of the death of Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. Now, how is it that the death of Jesus equals the Holy Spirit taking up residence in your life? Well, here's why. How can a holy spirit take up residence in an unholy man? How is it possible for the very Holy Spirit to be residing in me an unholy person. Well, that's where the death of Jesus comes in. When Jesus died on that cross, he took my shame and your shame, your sin and my sin, our brokenness. He died in our place. And because we've put our faith in Jesus, you're made righteous. You're made completely, totally righteous in the sight of God. And therefore, a Holy Spirit can take up residence in you who were an unholy person, but have now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus through that death. That's why Jesus said, it's to your advantage I go away. When he goes away, he's going to die on that cross. He's going to rise again. He won't be here anymore, but he will come by his spirit and take up residence in your life. That's what it means. You see, it is to our advantage that Jesus isn't here. We think, wouldn't it be great if Jesus was here? Well, if Jesus turned up in person today in Gorgie, 
and preach to you. That would be really cool. I know it would be cool. And next week, he has to go to Australia because he's in high demand. He's preaching in Australia. So we'd all have to fly to Australia to hear him. And the week after that, he's in China. So we're going to have to get some false identification and, and try and get into China to hear Jesus, right? I mean, it's not really that helpful, is it? But when he, he went up, he died on the cross, he went up, and then the Spirit of God comes. Who is the Holy Spirit? It's literally the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Comes, takes up residence in your life. Now, where's Jesus? Jesus is everywhere. You are his address on earth. Where you go, he goes. He said he'd never leave you. That's incredible. So it is to your advantage. We've been given a helper, number one. Second great reserve that's been given to us, this huge resource. Number two is, he is the spirit of truth. Verse 26, the spirit of truth. Chapter 16, verse 13. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. There was a story told about a a certain guides, an Arab guide who lived in the Arabian desert, and he never lost his way. And the story goes that uh, he, had, he carried with him a homing pigeon, and the homing pigeon had a very thin twine, a, a, stri- a very fine string tied to its leg and tied to the guides. And whenever he was in the, in the desert and he was, he was starting to get disoriented and didn't know where he was, he would let the homing pigeon go, and the homing pigeon would always fly in one direction, that was home. And he would feel the tug of the string, and he would know that that way was home, and he would always have his bearings. He got to the point where he was so well known for this that he was called the dove man. You know, I believe the Holy Spirit, when he's in your life, he becomes like a compass. He becomes like an inbuilt sat-nav. He will direct your life. He leads you in the way of truth. He guides you into better places. You see, he will give you knowledge but not knowledge like you usually get. You usually get knowledge, I usually get knowledge from the outside in. But when the Holy Spirit's in you, you get revelation knowledge. That comes from the inside out. That he is now in you, and he will speak truth to you, things that you didn't know otherwise were it not for the Holy Spirit. And he will speak to you. Now you need to know that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He comes and guides you into truth. The Holy Spirit the same Holy Spirit that's in you also inspired the writing of Scripture. Ow. (laughs) Who put that there? The Holy Spirit is in you also inspired the writing of Scripture. So therefore, if the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit inspired the Scripture is in you, the Holy Spirit will not give you doctrinally wacky thoughts. So see, when you get guys in a white suit, they've always got white suit, and the gray hair all spread back, and give you some the Holy Spirit shown me, and he comes out with this crazy doctrinally thought. That didn't make sense. He comes out with this crazy, wacky doctrinal. I have to tell you, wasn't the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit who inspired the Word is the Holy Spirit that's in you. The Holy Spirit will always work with the words. He will always lead you into what the Bible teaches and what the Word has already revealed. Someone once said, the Word without the Spirit will slow you up. The Spirit without the Word will blow you up. The word with the Spirit will grow you up. And that's true. That you need both the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Then you've got all the truth you ever need in life. And with Him, you're heading in a great direction. When I look back at my life and I think, 
how did the Holy Spirit lead me into truth? And you can do the same. I look back and I see pivotal moments. And he did it different every time he did it different. But I look back and I see pivotal moments of how he led me. Before I was a Christian, I remember being in, taken to church and I remember sitting in a Bible class one particular day and the guy who was leading the Bible class brought a couple of people in to share their stories about how God had impacted their life. I just remembered, probably as a 12, 13-year-old, being massively impacted by the Holy Spirit through them. Holy Spirit was leading me into truth. I remember having become a believer, falling in love with Angie. I fell in love with her, and I, I, that, that meant I didn't say anything to her. I mean, I went all kind of coy around her. Uh, that, that's what it did. I, I wasn't confident. I, I, I fell in love with Angie, and I didn't know how to tell her. So I remember, and I, and I knew it was of the Lord. I knew the Lord put Angie in my heart, and I, I remember walking into the unit. It was at Strathclyde University, and I was, I don't know, 15,000 students at Strathclyde. I, I knew Angie from church. I knew she was studying at Strathclyde, but in the four years I was there, maybe met her twice on campus. So it was a big campus. And I remember just praying, Lord, do you know what? I love Angie. And she doesn't, she, I hardly even know her, and she hardly even knows me. All I'm saying, Lord, is if I meet her on my way to my lecture just now, I'll, I'll ask her for lunch. And there she was, right in the corner. And I asked her for lunch. And then, so when, when I asked her, when we went on the first date, I could, have, I could have just as well got on my knees and proposed to her. And that would have freaked her out, so I didn't do that. <laughs> but I was so clear. This is the girl for me. I was so clear. The Holy Spirit led me. And when, when, I remember when I was, we were, we'd been dating three months. And in my heart, and you had proposed to her. And Angie's folks were taking her on, on a holiday to Austria. And they said, do you want to bring your boyfriend along as well? So I went along with her. And as I was praying, I, I had this vivid picture in my head. And it was a picture of me proposing a particular spot on a mountain, on my knees, proposing to Angie. It was so clear. Anyway, we we're about to go to, to Austria. And just a few, a few days before, I remember saying, I met Angie in the morning the next day. And uh, you sleep well, Angie? And Angie said, yeah. I, I dreamt we were in Austria. I said, oh, yeah, that's where we're going, isn't it? I, and I... <laughs> But she didn't tell me what she dreamt. But anyway, we got to Austria. I saw the spot that I saw when I was praying. I saw the exact spot. And I got on my knees and I proposed to Angie. And she said, yes. <laughs> and then she said to me, you remember that day when you asked me, did I sleep well? I had a vivid dream. I saw this spot. I saw you proposing to me in this spot. I'd seen it as I was praying. She saw it as she was sleeping. I believe the Holy Spirit leads you into truth. When we started the church in Edinburgh, it was the Holy Spirit who inspired me to come to this city. Why? Because he loved you so much, he knew you needed a person like me to be your pastor. No, no, okay, yeah. yeah, I know, I know, I know. But the Lord loves this city, and God has stirred many of you to be here just for that exact same reason, because he loves you and he loves this city. And the Holy Spirit led us to buy Gorgie and to buy Leith. It was clearly the Holy Spirit. That wasn't our clever ideas. It was clearly the Holy Spirit. Some of you know the journey. It was incredible. The Holy Spirit leads us into truth. Thirdly, huge reserve from God. Thirdly, He points people to Jesus. Verse 26 and 27, John 15. The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about me and you will also testify because you have been with me from the beginning. 
It says, he testifies. The Holy Spirit is speaking. And what's his agenda? He is testifying to people in this city about Jesus. Jesus said it again in John 16, 14. He said, he will glorify me. The Holy Spirit has not come to make you look good. If you perform a miracle, the Holy Spirit's agenda is not to make you look good. If you bring a prophecy and it's bang on and it changes someone's life, and you guys should be moving in these things. This is your inheritance. This is God in you. You can do these things. You can. You totally can. You can see the greatest miracles because He Himself, God, is in you. There's nothing you can't do without, with God. In fact, nothing you can't do. Step out. Start being bolder. But listen, he doesn't, He's not in you to make you look good. He's also not in you to make Himself look good. His operations are for one goal, and His one goal is to make Jesus Christ look good. He is glorifying Jesus any ministries that make themselves look good, that's not the operating of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's agenda is to make Jesus look good. And therefore, if that's your agenda, you're being inspired by the Holy Spirit. And notice it says, he testifies, but also says, and you will testify. You see, he's testifying and you're testifying. How does that work? Well, he's in you. And he's wanting to testify about Jesus through you. I find it amazing that God would do this. Why doesn't God just open the heavens as the pier and tell everyone? Well, he's chosen the way he will reveal himself to the world is through ordinary bods like us, with all our frailties, with all our weaknesses, and we become voices for the Holy Spirit. God wants to speak through you and testify about Jesus through you. God wants to use your words, your tongue, your eyes to connect, your feet to get you there, to connect with people in your communities, in your workplaces, in your family, and tell them about Jesus. And as you do that, what will be happening? It's not just you speaking. The Holy Spirit will also be speaking. And He won't just be speaking through you. He is also going to be on their case on the inside. So when you're saying stuff about Jesus, they'll be saying, that's not true. And then the heart's saying, yes, it is. Shut up. It's not true. And it'll be like this thing will be going on. They look so confident. But the Holy Spirit will be confirming exactly what you're saying to them about Jesus. It's incredible. You see that you see this in Genesis 24. It's an amazing example, and I think the example's there to illustrate the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 24, Abraham sent his servant to get a wife for his son, Isaac. And his servant's name was Eliza. It's interesting in the Old Testament, the Hebrew for Eliza means God is help. Mind you, the Holy Spirit, right? The helper. So here's Eliza sent by Abraham to get a bride for his son, Isaac. So Eliza goes and and he's looking for this bride and he finds Rebecca and he brings her to Isaac. It's a picture of this. It's a picture that God the Father has sent the Spirit into the world on a hunt for the bride of Christ, to raise up a people, the people of God, to be the church of Jesus Christ, to be his bride. And how's he doing it? He's in you and he's on a hunt. He's looking. Let him look through you. Don't just be so consumed with, I've got to do this this week, this this week, this this week. Here's my agenda. Realize there's a bigger agenda in your week than your schedule. 
that the Holy Spirit actually might just want to use you to connect with someone who's meant to be part of the bride eternally of Christ. That's a privilege. You get a partner with him, he's on a hunt. Now, I guess it's like picking fruit. You know, when you get to the apple tree, some fruit, that's not ready to be picked. Other fruit, you just bump the branch and it falls off. Right? And that's what it's like with people. Some people are ripe and ready to come to God. And it's, it's like, you say, do you want it? And they say, I'll be saved. <laughs> it's just, wow, that was so easy. Other people, you feel like you get nowhere with them. And it's not that you quit on them, it's just that there's a bit of a, a ripening to take place in their life. And how does that ripening take place? Pray, care, share. Remember? Pray, care, share. You pray for them. You care for them. And you keep sharing with them. Don't force it down the throat, but you pray for them. Keep praying. Keep watering that seed. See what ripens. And then there'll come a right moment. But just understand that there's a journey people are on. I remember Brendan, who leads Destiny Church in Dublin, I became mates with him when we were students together. He was at the Glasgow School of Art, and we were best buddies. And he became a Christian at the Glasgow School of Art. And the way that happened was a believer from the church started witnessing to Brendan's friend, sharing their faith with Brendan's friend. And they asked, can, can I meet you in the, in the art college cafe? And I want to tell you about more of my faith. So Brendan's friend was there, and Brendan's really interested. Brendan said, can I come along and sit with you? And uh, the Christian person said, yeah, if you want, yeah. So Brendan sat there, and there's the friend who actually wasn't interested. He's just sitting there, nodding, and Brendan's on the edge of his seat. This is amazing. And uh, Brendan's ready to say, yes, I want this. But sorry, the person's not witnessing to Brendan. He's witnessing this other guy who's not actually, it's like a ripe ripe apple right there. And they're trying to get this apple off the tree. So anyway, the long and short of it is the the person ended the conversation and disappointed because their friend that they were trying to tell about Jesus wasn't interested, but the friend was. And Brendan literally had to chase after this person and say, can I come to church with you? (laughs) So eventually they brought Brendan to church and he became a believer. And now he leads a church in Dublin. So you need to understand, while you might lock in on certain people, understand if you try and convert someone, all you'll do is force it down their throat and manipulate them. Let God do a work. Be his voice peace. Let God speak. But also be aware that he might want to do things around you that you haven't been aware of. So don't just lock in on some people. And fourthly, he convicts people. Say that with me. He convicts people. It says in verse 8, And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. The Greek word for convict is a word that is used to describe a lawyer when they're cross-examining a guilty person on a trial in order to convince the guilty person that they're really guilty. That's the same word Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit has come to convict. Now, most of you sitting here thinking, I know, I know. Boy, he convicts me all the time. Many of you see the Holy Spirit almost like an accuser, convicting you on your case, accusing you, pointing out your faults. 
Who likes a nag? I mean, no one likes a nag, right? Guys, don't say amen. Okay, no one likes a nag. And yet many of you view the Holy Spirit as the divine nag, constantly telling you, you've not done this right. You've not done this right. You've not done this right. You could do better. You've not done this right. You've not done this right. You've not done this right. A divine nag. Yeah, that's not what the Holy Spirit is referred to here as doing. Listen to what it says. When he comes, read it with me, he will convict the... Who will he convict? Who's the world? It's not the believers. It says he will convict the the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Okay, just to be clear on this, it says concerning sin because what? Because they do not believe. So who's primarily the Holy Spirit's agenda for convicting? It's the... Okay, we'll keep going through this until we get this. All right, let's read it again. When he comes, read it with me, he will convict concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So why is that? Okay, concerning sin because, because they do not believe. So the primary agenda of the Holy Spirit, clearly here in the text, <clears throat> now I know the Holy Spirit can be grieved by you, of course. If God is in you and you, you're sinning, you're taking him where you're going, he will be grieved. And you'll feel that. Oh, man. Like a good father loving his child would be grieved. But when it's talking about conviction of the Holy Spirit, it is clear it's saying he will convict the world. Why? It gives us the reason. Because they do not believe. So why is it, why, I mean, why does that answer that? Why is it that the, he's convicting the world? Why? Because they don't believe. Why? Because they don't believe. Well, because if they believed, they would be declared righteous. It says in Romans chapter 3, 22. You can read it with me. 1, 2, 3. Righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. You see, when he died on that cross, he took your sin. He paid the price for all your sin, for all your corruption. He died to take it away. He rose again, and he promises that when you place your faith in him, you are declared righteous for all eternity by God. That's called being justified by faith. That's got, that, I mean, you, you, we get in, religion is all about, I've got to do better, I've got to do better. <clears throat> but what is that actually saying? That's saying you can save you. And who does that glorify? You. It's a man-centered, demonic, religious I think. However, true gospel is this. It says you can't save you. Only God can save you. And who gets the glory from doing that? God. God saving you. And you put your faith there. I put my faith in you. And you're saved. You're declared righteous. Listen, Romans chapter 1 verse, sorry, chapter 5 verse 1. Read it with me. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified. Justified literally means declared righteous. It's a term that's used in a courtroom. 
If you were in a courtroom and you were guilty and then someone came and paid your fine and then that meant you were no longer guilty, that would be you in a courtroom being declared not guilty. Justified is the courtroom's declaration that you are not guilty, that you have been declared righteous. So here's the thing. If God has declared you righteous, why do you think on the other hand he's coming and telling you all the time, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner? It's a bit inconsistent, is it not? If God has on one hand broad stroke, you've put your faith in Jesus, he said, declare you righteous. Why do you think on the other hand he's, he's now like, you think the Holy Spirit's convict? No, no. The, Jesus said the Holy Spirit's come to convict the world. Why? Because they don't believe. And what is, why is that? Because if they don't believe, then they're not justified. They're not righteous. That's why he's convicting the world. That's good news. See, the world is not going to hell because of the sin of thieving or because of the sin of murder or because of the sin of Harry Potter, sorry, witchcraft. The world is not going to hell because of individual sins. The world and people will go to hell because they have not believed in Jesus Christ. Jesus put it this way, John 8, 24. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Primarily, it's not about right doing or wrongdoing. It's about right believing or not believing. That's the issue. If, and here's the truth. If you authentically believe in God, then your life will change. And if it doesn't change, according to James, you have dead faith. You're saved by faith. That makes you righteous. I believe the Holy Spirit interacts with us almost identically to how Jesus interacted with people. In fact, identically to how Jesus interacted with people in those three years of ministry. Remember Jesus said, we read it a few weeks ago in John 14, 16. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Remember we said that there's, different, there's two different words in the Greek language for another. One of the words in the Greek language for another is another um, similar. But there's another Greek word which is another identical. And that's the word being used here. So when Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper. He's saying another helper, identical, another identical helper. So now who's the other helper? Well, it's Jesus. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are of the same essence. They're identical in the way they operate. And therefore, the way the Holy Spirit will interact with us and with the world will be identical to how Jesus interacts with us and with the world. So what do you see in the life of Jesus? Well, you see him with a Zacchaeus, Luke 19, 9. And you see him saying to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus was not perfect in his behavior by any stretch of the imagination. He was a sinner to the core. And yet, in that moment, he put his faith in Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Salvation has come to your home. And then you see Jesus interacting in John 8 with the woman caught in adultery. And he said, let the first one cast a stone. He who is without sin, cast the first stone. And everyone left apart from Jesus, the only one qualified to cast the stone. And he said, did not, no one condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Do you know what he saw in that lady? Faith. In those moments, 
in that moment, she came to faith in Jesus, and therefore he declared her not guilty. It's faith. On the flip side, how did he interact with the religious? He condemned them because the religious were trying to earn righteousness by their own goodness and hard work and effort. Notice Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Listen, that he may be with you forever. Do you hear that? That he may be with you forever. It doesn't say that he may be with you until you sin. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave you when you sin. The Holy Spirit is grieved when you sin. He's in you when you sin, and he's upset, of course. But he doesn't leave you when you sin. That's why it says, Ephesians 4.30, he's grieved. But listen to what it says here. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Who gets the glory? God gets the glory. See, Jesus said, he will be with you forever. Some people think you can get the Holy Spirit and you can lose the Holy Spirit. You can get the Holy Spirit and you can lose the Holy Spirit. But Jesus says, he will be with you forever. And here we see it again in Ephesians. It says he has come as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. Who to? Everyone who believes. Guarantee. See, about a month ago, I got a mini. I bought a mini. And I, I, I was looking at the internet, looking at an auto trader, and I found this mini. It's just exactly what I was looking for. It had the interior I wanted and everything, cool alloys. Loved it. Great. I want that one. But it was down in London. So I phoned up and I said, I'd like to buy the mini. And they said, that's fine. Uh, so I had to get a cheap flight down to London and drive it back up. Uh, so in order to reserve the mini, I had to put a deposit on it. So I, over the phone, paid a deposit of, what, 500 pounds or something. And that reserved the mini for me. Now, what if he had gone ahead, I get on the flight, fly down, and I, I turn up at the garage and say, oh, I've sold it, I'm sorry. Ha, right. What would that say about that man? It would say he's what? False. Someone swore down this side here. And what else? <laughs> Not trustworthy, inconsistent, unfaithful, right? Are any of these things descriptions of God? No. So if God, if there's a deposit down in your life and God says that, that's, that's a proof that I will deliver eternally your salvation, then God would not be like a dot. Just so you know, it ended well. I got the mini, all right? He wasn't like that person said. Okay, uh, so thank God. But that's, you know, God isn't like that. <clears throat> there is a deposit of the Holy Spirit in your life guaranteeing. And this is God guaranteeing guaranteeing, guaranteeing our inheritance. That's good news, believers. Thanks for your enthusiasm. <laughs> that was a really good point. When David prayed in Psalm 51, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take the Holy Spirit from me. 
does that question, does that prayer still hold true since the blood of Jesus has been shed on the cross? Or was that an old covenant understanding prayer that the Holy Spirit can come in a person and leave a person like it did with Saul or others? You need to understand that since the blood has been shed on that cross, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, it doesn't just come upon you, it comes into you, and it's a seal guaranteeing your inheritance for all eternity. And that's good news. That's good news. Now, I, I get David's sentiment. Don't, take, don't cast me from your presence. Don't take your spirit from me. I feel that way sometimes. I feel I'm unworthy. I feel that. It's, a, it's an honest, good sentiment, and it's a good prayer maybe. But it's not a theological truth that you can anticipate in the New Testament. The truth is because of Jesus, you're eternally secure if you've put your faith in him. You see, 2,000 years ago, a young man hung there on a cross. And in that dying moment on that cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In those moments on the cross, he was separated, the Son from the Father. God who exists for all eternity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, inseparable and yet on the cross for one moment in all eternity, God who had never been separated was the Son had been separated from the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For one moment in eternity, the Father and the Son were separated because the sin was on the Son. The Father turns the face away. In that moment, he was separated so that you could have the forever presence of God in your life. That's why he says, I will never leave you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Why? Because he purchased the forever presence of God for you as he died on that cross. That's great news. See, if your wife said to you when you got married to her, you know what? I'm with you, but not forever. Yeah, and you'd be like, every day, is it today? You'd be really paranoid. You wouldn't even enter into a covenant with a wife like that. And yet, some people are thinking that's what it's like with God. And God says, you connect with him, he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's the truth we believe. You see, where does accusation come from in the mind of a believer? Accusation in the mind of a believer comes from, firstly, the devil. Revelation 12, 10. The accuser of our brethren has been hurled down who accuses them before our God day and night. And you know what? He's got much grounds to accuse us on. Our behavior constantly seems to contradict the truth that we've been declared righteous. And he's got much, he's got much to, you know, you're giving him an excuse all the time with your lifestyles. And, and do you know what? We need to walk closely with God and repent and live humbly. But you need to understand that it's not the Holy Spirit who's the accuser. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, but it's the devil who's the accuser. And notice also, uh, you, you yourself will condemn yourself. It says in 1 John 3.20, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So emotionally, you're all over the place. You're beating yourself up. But here's the truth. You're not the ultimate judge. God has made a decision about you based on your response to the Son on the cross, based on your faith. And that's the ultimate and only decision ultimately that will ever count for all eternity. Not how you feel, because we are not, sub we are not objective. We are subjective. Now, to the world, the Holy Spirit is like a prosecuting lawyer. Convicting. Remember the word convicting is described, it's describing a, like a courtroom scene 
where it's a prosecuting lawyer convincing the guilty party of their guilt. Remember we said that earlier? Remember I said earlier that when you're justified by faith, that's a legal term as well, where in the courtroom you've been acquitted. So the Holy Spirit is to the world a prosecuting lawyer. He's convincing the world of their sin. How will He convict the world of their sin? He does it through you. You see, before the cross, the Holy Spirit was in the world. You see that right back in Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the surface of the deep. The Holy Spirit's been in the world all the time. So why did Jesus say about the era after the cross that he will convict the world? Why? Why then? Well, the difference is the Holy Spirit is now in the believer. And it's therefore, it is through your life that that conviction will come into the lives of others. As you're sharing the love of God, as you're sharing about Jesus, a conviction will come deep in their souls of their need of God. To the believer, the Holy Spirit is as a defense lawyer. And we said parakletos can be described as an advocate, a defense lawyer, one representing you. And it says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12, so that we have not received, so we, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given to us. He's not come to tell you what you haven't got, what you haven't done, how you haven't made it. He's come to tell you what you have freely received. And in God, you have freely received so much. You have freely received salvation. You have freely received healing. You have freely received eternal life. The list is endless. In God, you have a huge inheritance. And the Holy Spirit's come to make sure you know that. Does he not love the world? Has he got it in for the world? Is that, is that the agenda of God? You know, if I was a doctor and you had a deadly disease, would I be your friend if I just ignored it? If you had a deadly disease that was going to take you out, would it not be loving for me to say, you have a deadly disease? This is how bad it is. You've been ignoring it, but you can't ignore it anymore. Look at it. And then you, you realize, I've got this deadly disease. I need medicine. I need medicine. And then you as the doctor say, it's exactly what I've been longing for you to cry out for. Here's the medicine made available at my own expense. That's the Holy Spirit's agenda for the world. Not because he hates the world, because he loves the world. But you see, good news means nothing unless you know the bad news. And we're living in a society where everyone's told, you're okay, everything's fine. You know, no one's really that bad. Folks, we are. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're beyond help other, other than God's help. We can't save ourselves. No human being is good enough for God. No one. What Jesus did on the cross was essential for every person. And it takes the Holy Spirit to convince people of that in his love. And finally, fifthly, he reveals the future. John 16, 13. 
He will disclose to you what is to come, Jesus said. Now, I think this predominantly refers to books of the Bible, like the book of Revelation, which is speaking about the future. Or there's many prophetic moments in the New Testament where it's speaking prophetically about future events. I think it speaks about that, sure. But I also think it speaks specifically about some of the things that go on in our lives. The Holy Spirit will let you know about things that are to come. And yes, there's the, there's the big cosmic things like the return of Christ, which the Holy Spirit has let us know about through Scripture. But there'll also be things coming up in your life that you need to know about. Example in the book of Acts, Acts 11, where you see Agabus, <coughs> who was a prophet, and he spoke about a famine that was about to come in the land. That was the Holy Spirit telling people about what was to come. It might be in your life that God will speak to you about things that are coming up. You may be fallen for a guy. You've fallen in love. But the Holy Spirit says, this guy's not going to be any good for you. Just like Jesus knew something about Judas was not good about his future. So the Holy Spirit warns you about that guy. Or it might be you're, <clears throat> you're looking to invest and you, you've got a business. And you've got this opportunity and it doesn't look very exciting because there's not a huge track record of success but you really feel even though it's a small company you really feel you should invest in it because you feel the holy spirit has led you to and god being god knows that's going to become the next big thing and you've just invested in the next big thing the holy spirit does that with the church he lets us know ahead of time what's coming and as we're listening to him he lets you know what's to come it's incredible god in our lives gives us the edge Folks, we're like Ira and Ann Yates, those sheep farmers in Texas. We have an inheritance. We own the land. The reserve is there. And yet, how often do we draw on that incredible reserve of God, that God himself, the Holy Spirit, is in you in order that you may know what's been freely given to you from God. And to lead you in a successful, God-glorifying, blessed life. To impact the city and to transform your everyday. That's what God has for you. Let me end with this quote by D.L. Moody. He said, You might as well try to hear without ears or breathe without lungs as try to live a Christian life without the Spirit of God in your heart. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. You're, you're among us right now. Thank you, Father. Sweet Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We adore you, God. We thank you you're among us. And you know every single person here. And I know your agenda for them is so good. It's so good. It's eternally good. And that's what the cross was all about. And that's what your presence in this room is all about. And that's what those verses are all about. <clears throat> so God, first of all, I pray for anyone whose hearts have not been opened up to you. Anyone who's closed their hearts to God. I pray today they will just, in your presence, make a choice to soften their hearts and not resist you anymore. 
I want to give everyone an opportunity to respond in a moment. But before I do that, I want to first give opportunity to you today if you are not currently connected with God. I want everyone to respond in a moment, but first for you, if you're here and you know you and God are not connected, I've shared as best as I could about what Jesus did for you on that cross. I can't make it any plainer and I can't prove it to you. But I believe the Holy Spirit does that. I am 100% convinced about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's not because I was there. It's because the Holy Spirit has made it real to me. And that's, that's all I can pray for you. That God will make that so real to you that it'll become your lifeline. So while you're in his presence today, if you have not given your life to God, if you've not placed your faith in Jesus who died for you on that cross and rose again, why don't you do that today? Why don't you reach out in faith and place your life in his hands? Trust him to be your savior. Trust him from this day forward to be Lord of your future, Lord of your life. Stop living for yourself and passionately live from God for this day forward. So that's you. It's a big decision, I know. But he's worthy of a big decision. If that's you, then you just, I invite you just now to pray this prayer and to commit your life to God in this moment. Repeat this after me, just under your breath. Let this be your commitment to him. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you so much for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying on that cross, paying the price for my sin. And thank you for rising again on the third day. Thank you, you're alive right now. I'm asking you today to forgive me. I'm asking you to come into my life. I commit myself to you to be your follower for the rest of my day for the rest of my days. Thank you for hearing my prayer and for accepting me today as your child. If you've prayed that prayer, I'd like to pray for you. I'm just going to ask you to identify yourself quickly. If you prayed that, just raise your hand wherever you are. Nice and clearly. Put it up nice and clear so I can see it. Thank you. Can I have some leaders just helping here in this moment as well? Anyone else? Just put your hand up nice and clear. Anyone else? Thank you. Okay, Sebastian, could you pray with this gentleman? And Dan, could you pray for this guy down here? Is that okay? Lord Jesus, I pray for these two guys in your presence. They've prayed a prayer. They've made a decision, and their decision is to follow Jesus. And thank you, you've heard their prayer. And I believe as they've placed their faith in you, you declare them righteous for all eternity. Now help them this day to walk with you for the rest of their days in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's all stand. Just those two guys who prayed there. I'm going to ask Sebastian if you could pray here and then Dan if you could pray with the guy up here. That'd be great. These guys will pray with you for a moment. Just take a moment to pray with them. 
and they're going to give you a booklet as well. Okay, the rest of us are going to respond just now. What I want us to do is this. I want you just to open your hands to God. I want you just to pray with me nice and loud, one line at a time. Say, dear God, thank you for your precious Holy Spirit. Thank you, you are in my life. Lead me into truth. Let me understand the things that have been freely given to me by God. Holy Spirit, let me testify to Jesus. Testify through me to Jesus. Let the world meet Jesus through me. I am on mission with you. I I commit myself to you. Thank you, God. So come, Holy Spirit, fill your people. Fill us afresh. Work through us. Touch us deeply. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. This will be opportunity at the end for prayer. I believe every believer has the Holy Spirit, but I believe there is an experience of the Holy Spirit called the baptism with the Holy Spirit, which often will result in you speaking in tongues or seeing the gifts and power of God in your life. I want that for you all. God wants it for you all. So if you haven't experienced that, then leaders will be available at the ends. Please come forward. In fact, leaders can have some leaders right now at the front. And during this next song, if you want to be baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit, um, there's going to be leaders here just now. They're going to pray for you just now. So just, just leaders, come forward. And uh, come, as you're coming forward for that, come with a heart wide open, ready to receive from God. Also, there's healing available in God. He's a mighty God. There's nothing too hard for him. If you need healing, you come forward as well. Or if there's any issue that you're struggling with, you want someone to pray with,